0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: purangi o Kia ora. mai Hello and welcome to Our Changing World. Co-Clerk and Cannon, then, eh? Our story this week is all about babies. Premature babies, in fact. Even the healthiest of them face unique challenges just to get going in life. Justin Gregory meets a team of medical researchers who are helping out our smallest patients.
0: Meet Isla Rothwell. Like a lot of 20-month-old toddlers, she's happy, busy and full of life. Spirited is how her mum, Olivia, describes her.
1: Oblivious to to danger is the current (laughs) kind of mode that she's in get off the table and how did you even get up there she's really surprised me with how happy and she is just going to a perfect stranger and being held by a stranger so she's very open to meeting new people and new situations
0: isla isn't your everyday toddler she was born nearly two months premature
1: yes she arrived at 33 weeks um and it was a big surprise and there was no medical reason why she just came
0: so born early but born healthy and as a newborn isla was what neonatal staff call a feeder and grower There was no health issue she just needed to get bigger and older before she could leave the hospital and the morning after she was born a medical researcher tapped olivia and her husband on the shoulder and asked if they would be willing to help out
1: i do remember them kind of starting to explain everything and i kind of blurred over um my brain wasn't wasn't really working that well. Um, So all the extra questions and details about Isla was, you know, a bit overwhelming for me. So I sort of passed it on to my husband.
0: That researcher was from the Liggins Institute, part of the University of Auckland School of Medical and Health Sciences. Isla and her family were being asked to play a part in a unique investigation into the care of preterm babies,
3: or preemies. Yes, as far as we know, it's the only trial that is investigating interventions for the nutritional support of preterm babies that are born what we call moderate to late preterm, which is between one and eight weeks preterm. This is Frank Bloomfield, professor of neonatology
0: and the director at the Liggins. He's also in charge of the DIAMOND study, which is an acronym I'll get to later. Now where we are, the Liggins looks a lot like any office. But on the day I spoke to Frank, I could hear the sound of a toddler giggling in the room next to his. It was very sweet. Each year, around 5,000 New Zealand babies are born prematurely, that is before 37 weeks gestation. 85% of them are born between 32 and 37 weeks. Their chances of survival are very good these days, excellent in fact, says Frank. And so sleeping, feeding and growing is their total job. They usually stay in a neonative intensive care unit, or NICU, or similar, until close to their due date. These are the babies Frank and the other researchers are interested in because they aren't necessarily as healthy or as ordinary
3: as they seem. They look like term babies, they behave in many ways like term babies and we think their outcomes are like term babies. But just in the past decade or two there's been an increasing amount of research that has followed these babies up as they've become older, both in their childhood and also more recently into adulthood using large epidemiological studies And those studies have shown that, in fact, these babies are at increased risk of a variety of issues that affect their health in later life, both metabolic health, such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and also developmental um, issues. For example, their learning, their cognitive ability, attention, those sorts of things. Now, this could be because of the reason they came early or just the fact of being born early. Or it could be the way we look after them after birth because when they're born they're developmentally immature. We do lots of things to support these babies that actually are not what they would be experiencing in the womb. And that includes everything from the senses they're exposed to, including things like auditory sensation, smell, taste, touch, all those things that are very different out of the womb than in the womb. Or it could be the medications we provide the, and in my case, what I'm interested in is the nutrition we provide. So the things that we actually do to help the babies may themselves have consequences that we're not yet aware of. And so that's why we're now focusing attention on how we might be able to help these babies at the beginning of their lives.
0: Most of these preemies can't breastfeed well enough yet, so they need to be given nutrition in the NICU in another way. The Diamond Study is looking at how they're fed and whether there's a better way to do it. DIAMOND stands for Different Approaches to Moderate and Late Preterm Nutrition, Determinants of Feed Tolerance, Body Composition, and Development. Told you there was an acronym in there. In short, the team wants to figure out the best way to give nutrition to these premies to ensure long term positive outcomes for them. And it was an aim that won over Mum Olivia.
1: As soon as. I kind of gave a bit of the background. Um, he kind of helped me realize that it was actually something that we should take part of, and all of this was so new to me. Obviously, I had I had never really thought about anything in relation to preterm babies before. So um, yeah, it all coming coming at me at once on three hours of sleep was was, was tough. But uh, I could tell the people knew what they were doing, and they were very supportive. I mean, you know, my biggest questions were just a really around that it's still my choice about what I want to feed her. Let's say breastfeeding becomes too difficult or I don't make enough milk. I wanted to make sure that it was still kind of up to me that we would switch to formula um, if that ever needed to happen. The kind of feeding regimes that they put the the babies on in the study um, are just different IV types. And that the decision on those IV types is, is really kind of arbitrary by whichever doctor is looking after the baby at the time they decide which to put them on uh, so it seemed like it was a really a random choice anyway so being in the study and it just being randomly applied as to which iv she would get uh didn't sound like there was going to be much of difference
0: This being New Zealand, Isla and Olivia had a family connection that helped her decision. The Liggins Institute is named after Professor Sir Graham Liggins, known as Mont, a renowned medical pioneer and researcher. And Mont delivered Isla's dad. Like I say, it's New Zealand, everything is a family connection. And speaking of which, Sally, my two-year-old daughter, is also a preemie. She was born at 32 weeks, and she's in the Diamond study as well, along with a hoped-for 527 other babies in four different hospitals in Auckland and Palmerston North. And yet, it is a bit overwhelming to be approached at such a stressful time. I also couldn't take in a thing the researcher was telling me, and Frances, Sally's mum, she wasn't well enough at that point to make the decision either. So I asked two of Sally's very protective aunts and uncles to find out what this person wanted to do with my baby. And now might be the right time to say thank you Uncle Sam and Auntie Susie and sorry to Karina from the Leggins. Now it might as I say seem a bit mean to head up shocked new premier parents so soon after birth, but there's a reason for it. Frank Bloomfield again.
3: One of the key hypotheses is that the nutrition we provide will alter the baby's development of fat mass and body composition and obviously the longer we leave the interval the more opportunity there is for whatever nutritional support the clinicians decide to actually be that influencing factor rather than the trial design and so for this trial we require consent within 24 hours if the baby's going to take part.
0: Sally struggled with feeding at first she was too physically immature to coordinate her breathing sucking and swallowing enthusiastic but uncoordinated a nurse called her. As Olivia said earlier, premies like Isla and Sally are typically fed by either IV solutions of sugar or sugar and protein, or by a feeding tube running down from their nose into their stomach. This stays in place until they can properly breastfeed or bottle feed. But, says Frank, there's no evidence that either IVs or tube feeding are best for babies. The Diamond Study is investigating all
3: three, and the babies are randomly assigned. Obviously the purpose of the trial is to try and answer precisely that question. Is one of these ways of doing things better than the other. That inevitably means that if it is, then the other one is worse. I think the critical point is that at the time that we're undertaking the trial, we don't know which of those is better. And further, both of them are in use in New Zealand and internationally for the support of babies. Their current good practice. Their current good practice. And there is what we would term equipoise around which approach is better, which means that within the healthcare system looking after preterm babies, some doctors believe one is better, some doctors believe the other is better, and most doctors are willing to provide either depending on circumstances. So there is equipoise in terms of not a consensus of opinion about one being better than the other. So that's what the study is trying to do, gather good evidence on which of the different feeding methods
0: work best to help doctors make decisions. Sally was on an IV initially and then she was given a feeding tube so was Isla. Every few hours a measured amount of breast milk would be dripped slowly into their tummies
3: they're getting nourished but it's not like having a feed with their mum The baby doesn't know it's coming it just suddenly appears. It appears at a rate that's determined by the caregivers it arrives at a volume determined by the caregivers and an interval determined by the caregivers and of course that's Um, you know for very good reason but it does mean that the normal signals that a baby would be receiving and giving receiving signals of smell and taste giving signals of satiety um, when it wants to have a pause etc are not there. The hope is that a small tweak might make a big difference.
4: Basically put a little bit of uh, milk, so some drops of milk, in a cotton bud and place it close to the baby's nose.
0: Dr. Mariana Milbert, postdoctoral researcher and dietitian at the Ligands, and sorry about the sound of this interview, some technical issues, all my fault. She's describing one of the really fascinating questions of the Diamond Study. Can smelling and even tasting their food first help Premies better digest their tube feeds?
4: With the taste, we just put a few drops in the baby's lips, and then they usually start sucking and moving their tongue, and then they start tasting a little bit. My observational and biased perception that they actually like and enjoy when you put the cotton pad close to their nose. They tend to move their nose and sniff a little bit and they seem to be interested in the smell. And the same goes for taste. When you put in a little bit of drops of milk in their mouth, they usually suck a little bit and seem to enjoy it. It's funny because sometimes they even smile. The messages that smell and taste actually send to your brain when you're about to eat a food more specifically for the smell bit is, uh, is something that triggers a cascade of physiological ref- reflections that assist you with digestion of food this smell will initiate, will send a message for your brain that will initiate, for example, salivation, some uh, movement of your gut, that all of this will in the end help you to digest the meal that your brain is anticipating you're going to eat.
0: This is old science going all the way back to Pavlov and his drooling dogs. But premiers with feeding tubes, they don't get to drool in anticipation of a meal.
4: They're sort of like, not even aware that they're being fed, but suddenly their tummy is getting full. So with the Diamond trial, we're trying to understand if maybe missing out on smell and taste is something that is compromising their digestion capability.
0: Other things might be compromised too, like the proper production of insulin.
3: Frank Bloomfield again. Most people know that insulin is a key hormone for metabolising food, particularly sugar. If you provide smell, then smell actually stimulates the release of insulin in your body through a mechanism that travels through the brain before food ever enters your body. And that prepares the body for the incoming food and helps it metabolize it more efficiently, therefore preventing, for example, big spikes in sugar. Now, whether this is important in preterm babies, we don't know, but that's one of the key things that the Diamond Trial is trying to answer.
0: Isla was selected for the smell and taste tweak, and so was my Sally. And I can confirm that the smiling is a thing. Olivia also noticed Isla responding.
1: Most of the time, she did because they're they're just completely dead asleep at that time, you know at at, at that age, um, so they're they're barely. Barely ever awake. So when you would put this the you know do the smell and the taste, yeah, she usually flinched a little bit. There was usually a bit of a bit of movement, um, and then of course a bit more movement when their when their bellies started to uh, fill up. Yeah, there was something there. There was something that it w- was awakening her senses. So to me, it seemed
0: like a really natural thing to do. The trial also wants to figure out whether preterm boys and
3: girls should be fed differently, because mostly they aren't. We know that through any stage of the life cycle boys and girls grow differently they also eat differently and yet in neonatal units we provide nutrition to all babies the same whether they're girls or boys even though we use different growth charts for girls and boys because we know they grow differently secondly the outcomes for girls and boys who are born preterm are different so boys tend to do worse than girls and this has been known for a long time although it's not known absolutely why that is And so we're very interested to know whether the nutritional support that we provide, whether it may have different impacts on girls and boys. And there is some evidence from work we've done previously that 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 is true, that some associations between nutritional intake and developmental outcome may be different between girls and boys. So that's something we're hoping to answer in this trial. And it's something we powered the trial to be able to answer specifically. A stool sample is taken from each baby too, because there's a lot
0: you can find out from poo, especially about gut microbiome, the tiny organisms and genetic material found inside your intestinal tract.
3: And there's increasing evidence that the gut microbiome um, is active metabolically and acts synergistically with our own bodies. And we know that certain factors around birth can affect the development of the gut microbiome and that a healthy gut microbiome is important for um, good metabolic health. And so we're studying whether the type of intervention, type of nutritional support we provide, impacts upon the gut microbiome.
0: There's a lot going on in the main diamond study, and there are side studies too. If
3: the parents agree, babies in the trial are given two MR scans. We're interested in understanding whether the nutritional support provided has um, effects on the growth of various regions of the brain. So what's involved for babies who are taking part in that sub-study Our first, they have an MR scan as soon after birth as the babies are stable, Um, and that involves transport from where the baby is cared for through to the MRI scanner, which is at the university just um, across the road from Auckland City Hospital, or a little bit further from the other two hospitals in Auckland. That's the first scan, and then the baby is placed in a special incubator that fits within the MRI machine and a special coil that goes over the head designed for babies, And then a series of sequences are taken um, that provide us very detailed images of the baby's brain. And then that scan is repeated at the time that the baby should have been born.
0: We
5: can test um, things like white matter volume, brain volume.
3: This is
0: Janine Chant, MRI technologist at the Center for Advanced MRI, University of Auckland.
5: Babies' brains react differently to different sort of substances, and I suppose that's what part of the study is to see what the effect is physically on their brain they can plot uh, white matter tracts. they can measure overall brain volume compared to normal babies scanned at the same age which i suppose gives just gives an overall idea of how the extra nutrition is affecting babies
0: you might be wondering the same thing i did how do you scan a baby don't they have to stay still the answer is pretty simple you feed them first.
5: Babies, once they're fed and wrapped and warm, they basically will sleep through anything. And that's what happens, especially the preterm ones. They're quite tired from, you know, being born. So we feed them, we wrap them. We have a special uh, perspex
0: incubator that they um, are placed in. The babies also get earplugs, some padding, and are put into a kind of bean bag that cradles them. And then they just go to sleep mostly. Janine estimates about 75 percent of them sleep through despite the noise. Full-term babies can be a bit regular. Actually, preemie parents can find the whole thing a bit more bothersome than the babies. We decided not to put our Sally into the MRI because we were worried about moving her. We probably shouldn't have been concerned. All the usual monitoring of a preemie, which is a lot, oxygen saturation, heart rate and so on, that all still occurs. Olivia Rothwell was confident that Isla would be just fine.
1: To me, it was actually just really fascinating. So it's kind of why why I wanted to do it. Um, the flip side of it is that obviously I got a bit more information about her brain than I, you know, would have ever had um, if I if I had said no to the MRI. Um, and it was that you know she had a small brain hemorrhage, which really apparently is is very common. Uh, but then there's another side of it, which is um, around white matter that was in her brain, and this the study. Um, has been picking that up a lot. So initially they said that, you know, majority of the babies will have white matter in their brain for their first scan, but then it will disappear at the second. And so ILOs has actually stayed um, the same. So, you know, of course you just, you, you get a bit worried because if you Google white matter, it never sounds great. Uh, but the whole point is that they never mri healthy babies so they don't know and i think through the study it seems like they're seeing more babies having this white matter um, than they expected and are potentially going to try to uh follow up with these kids and and add on to the study so that will actually be really interesting to see where where it leads um and if that white matter does mean anything
0: isla slept like a champ in the mri but the peapod was a different story
1: no, she didn't sleep through the pee pod test at all.
0: The pee pod is a machine for measuring body composition, fat mass and fat-free mass in infants using ear displacement. It only takes about two minutes, but preemies can find it a bit much.
1: So she was quite a bit more awake. Um, and a little you know, bit
0: startled looking from the first A little break. bit
1: startled, yes. <laughs> she, she just had these big wide eyes, which she always has these big wide eyes, um, and was just kind of a bit freaked out. So she was really good until about the last... I don't know, maybe 10 seconds. And then she was like, can you please get me out of here?
0: Have a look at the Changing World webpage for a photo. The Diamond study began in 2017 and has
3: almost finished recruiting all the babies they need from hospitals in Auckland and Palmerston North. The demographics of the babies recruited pretty well represents the demographics of New Zealand babies as a whole. The primary outcome is at four months corrected age. So that means for a baby born at 32 weeks, it's actually six months after they're born and then we also are following up all the babies at two, all the babies who would like to take part at two years of age. The two-year follow-up includes a very detailed developmental assessment, um, paediatric assessment and measures of development. The developmental assessments
0: at two years includes testing cognition, so like an IQ test but for two-year-olds, as well as verbal development and motor development, how they talk and how they move. Other studies have indicated that hitting milestones at this age are good news for the toddler's futures but frank is keen to follow up a bit further
3: and at 2 years of age that gives us an indication of whether babies are reaching the developmental milestones at the time that we would expect mm-hmm. and is predictive of those outcomes later in life so um, but not as predictive as we would like um, because it's still quite early in the baby's course of development which is why at the moment we're currently designing and um, seeking funding for following all the children who would like to take part at seven years of age and of course seven years of age is a critical age at school and so we'll be undertaking further assessments around cognitive function, motor function and school achievement type measures um, so that we can understand how these factors early in life are impacting on the child's ability at school. The Diamond Study is set
0: up to test existing clinical practices, how preterm babies are fed. Of course Frank hopes that the results they can find can help guide and shape best practice in the future but he cautions that
3: this can be a long and a winding road. Undertaking the research to address these clinical questions is really important but what's equally important is then getting the results of that research into clinical practice and that is surprisingly challenging. It's challenging for lots of reasons. Um, One is that there's rarely funding to undertake the activity that means there is good translation of research. And that's why on average, the results of clinical trials take 17 years to get into practice, which is a huge length of time. A second is that often current practice is very strongly ingrained. And you know, for the very best of reasons, there are strong views about what's the best approach. And one piece of research often rarely changes that view which means that we need to be able to synthesise that research with other similar research to come up with a more robust answer. But again, that type of research is more difficult to fund.
0: And like everyone, the researchers were held up by the COVID-19 pandemic, but for a nice reason. Though Frank is concerned about its impact on these later
3: developmental assessments. In the first lockdown in New Zealand, we did notice fewer preterm babies. The neonatal units were remarkably empty, whereas normally they're operating at or above capacity. We still have no real idea why, do we? No, we don't. Yeah. There's a lot of work going into that and whether it's actually been a lasting effect or not. But yes, yeah, so that meant that recruitment certainly dropped off significantly during that period of time. And then obviously the other waves of the COVID pandemic have affected um, our ability to recruit, both in terms of whether the hospitals were comfortable with research staff coming into the units or whether our staff were able to to operate And I have to say, in general, the hospitals have been, I I think, very, very supportive of facilitating as much research as possible. But obviously, it has affected um, our ability. And it does mean that, for example, some of the families that would have come back for an assessment have chosen not to do so for very good reasons. And that means one of the key things in clinical trials is always what's your follow-up rate, what's your retention rate? And that does—that um, is something that has affected us, and something that we're more anxious about. So we think just hesitancy about coming back inside a place that might be a vector for infection. Absolutely, yes. You know, do they want to take their baby, who was born preterm, out into an environment where there may be potential exposure?
0: When the evidence is in one way or another, our changing world will let you know. But until then, we just have the anecdotal experience of parents of preemies like me and Olivia Rothwell. She cautiously endorses the smell and taste tweak to using feeding tubes. She thinks it might have helped Isla.
1: And I think it's something that most of the Niku nurses want to bring on as common practice, because I think they see the benefit of it. So you're initially told that you probably won't leave Niku until they're, you're, they're at their um, what would have been their birth date. But we left earlier than that. So we left probably when she was more like, I don't know, between 37 and 38 weeks yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it did help her move along a bit faster and catch on breastfeeding better.
0: And how's she doing now?
1: She's good. She's good. So she's, um, I think her personality, she always would have been s- slow on her gross motor skills, um, preterm or not. Um, but then the preterm kind of, I guess, exacerbated it a bit. So um, slow to crawl, slow to walk. There wasn't ever a, a physical reason for it. It just kind of seemed like she was a also just a standard second child and uh wasn't very motivated because everything got brought to her so <laughs> between a combination of just generally i think her being a bit slower with her gross motor skills being a second kid and being preterm, she just was a bit behind and a um, little bit of catching up to do but she basically went from crawling to running so uh she is is very busy she is a runner, um, an explorer. Uh, so, yeah, she's she's great, other than she's never been a good sleeper, a horrific sleeper, so 21 months in, I'm still getting up
0: a couple times a night. And there really does need to be funding into research to cure that condition.
2: Thanks to Professor Frank Bloomfield and Dr Marianne Wilbert from the Liggins Institute. Janine Chant from the Centre for Advanced MRI and, of course, Isla and Olivia Rothwell. Special thanks to these two and their fano. This story was produced by Justin Gregory with editing help from me, Claire Concanon. It was engineered by Adrian Holley and Rangi Powick. Tim Watkin is the executive producer for podcasts and series at RNZ. You can find and follow Our Changing Worlds on your favourite podcast platform, And visit our website, rnz.co.nz slash world to have a look through our extensive back catalogue of episodes and to see that picture of Isla discussed in this episode. Find us on social media where we are at rnzscience. If you know a busy kid a bit older than Isla who has heaps of questions about the world, then point them in the direction of our new series. News to me is five minutes of news and issues that matter to Tamariki. Still the news you can trust, just easier to get your head around. And available as either a podcast or an animate TV series. News to Me drops every Friday afternoons on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Plus you can watch it on TVNZ 2 Or tune in just before the 7 o'clock news every Saturday morning on RNZ National. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Concanon. Kia pai To wiki.